Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Scripture reads this way, and this will be our text for this morning. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, this is speaking of Jesus, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve ones of Israel. That's too small a thing. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you that you expanded by your design from the foundations of the world that you would take in many peoples, not just a stubborn Jewish nation, Lord, did you seek to save sinners out of. But you said here in the scriptures through the mouth of Isaiah as he spoke your words, It's too small a thing. I need those in Hollister. I long to bring them into the fold. So Lord, you were thinking of us. Even from the foundations of the world, you were thinking of us here, but in this text, Lord, reminds us throughout redemptive history, you have been communicating to us that you your intentions, your, your planned will, Lord, is to bring the nations to you. So, Lord, we do not want to be a church that is ignorant of your plans, Lord. How foolish of us to worship you but not know your plans. And so, Father, this morning we want to know the purpose of the church, how we can follow that plan, Lord. And we pray that you would reveal that through your word to us with great joy and a great desire to see and know truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have had the privilege here, this, um, starting last week with Ted, kicking off a three-week series on missions. And it is at the heart of my ministry um, from the furthest back I can remember in my Christian life, I have desired to share the gospel with people. Um, I don't think that's just unique because I was going to be a pastor or something. I think that is what God does to save people. How foolish to think that he would give us a light and we would not put it on a hill or give us a light and put a bushel or a basket over it and not let that be seen. Why would he ask his church to do that? The goal of the church, and, and Ted said this very well, I was on vacation last week, uh, Wednesday morning, we're driving down I-5, I told Ted this this morning, I was listening to his sermon as I was driving down the, the highway, tears rolling down my face as Ted preached the gospel that we hold to, that we are to proclaim. He said several things, and he quoted several men, prominent men, um, both with the Lord and still present, that said the purpose of the church is the spread of the glory of God. There, There is, you have to understand, there is no other purpose than the spread of Jesus Christ to the nations. And, and, and yes, and Ted said this, he said, yes, teaching is important. Yes, gathering our children and instructing them in home groups and all the things that we do, yes, they are part of that. But if it doesn't lead to the expansion of the gospel presentation, we have failed. Do we understand that? We have looked at Christ's commission to us and said, hmm, not for me. So the result of all that we do here at Grace is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim it. Yesterday, I sat down with my dear wife, um, who was her and Lynn and the girls um, head up VBS. And I said, honey, is VBS missions? She said, absolutely. So we are taking the gospel to those who don't know it. And I said, are we engaged in it? 
as a church. She said, well, we are. I said, where are your needs? She wrote them down for me. She said, we need three people to help with recreation. Keep scores, keep kids participating, just work with a rec leader. She said, I need two more people to desperately, desperately, at least two more people to work with crafts to help them as they build a craft that focuses on the story of the gospel that they were told. Two more people. She said, I need at least two people to run crosswalks so our children cross the walks on the corner safely. What a ministry to these children, many of which will not know the Lord Jesus Christ to get them safely back into from class. She goes, I need four to eight people that will walk with station to station and make sure children are safe. We are in a day and age where we really have to work on protecting our children. So just adults who will walk with them and care for them souls and be with them and help them sit and eight to four to eight children. And then I said, well, if, if VBS's missions, tell me your theme. I already knew it, but I wanted to hear from her. She said to search and rescue. I can't think of a more mission-minded theme for VBS. To search and rescue. What are you search and rescuing for? Good times? Bag of goodies? Oh, they'll have a good time here. And they'll always have something special given to them. But the greatest thing we can do is search and rescue the lost. We, we're followers of Jesus, aren't we? I mean, that's, that's what we are, right? So, so what does he do? He came to what? Seek and to save, search and rescue us. Today, right after the service, our brother Ted, Pastor Ted is leading, he oversees missions in our church. He is putting on a luncheon and prayer time for our missionaries. Do you know who we support? I was looking at the list this morning and praying for them. We got guys and gals in places that you can't even imagine what's going on there. They are in some of the worst places of humanity. Sharing the gospel. And, 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 and I talk to these guys all the time. They'll say, Scott, we don't have enough help for the amount of people God is sending to our door. We don't have to go look for them. God's sending them to our door. Pray for us. Send help. Last month, I got asked to go to four places. I said, Scott, we beg you to come over and teach pastors. We have hundreds of them. I was asked to go to Italy, Philippines, India, and Russia. Scott, we have hundreds of pastors. When you come and train them, they will go and talk to thousands of people. Thousands of nationals in their own language. If you come and train them, we need you. Please come. See, missions is real. God is really at work and he's doing something. And here's what I've always said. If you've been around me for any length of time, I said, look, God's at work. Maybe we should ask him if we could join him in what he's doing. He said from the beginning, it's too small a thing for me to just have you reach the tribes of the nation of Israel. Speaking of Jesus. That's too small a thing. There's a greater thing. I want you to be a light. I want your glory. That's light, glory, his name, who he is, his person, his ability to save. I want that spread to all peoples. And I'm going to do it. Do you want to do it? See, missions isn't something that you hope gets done. It's going to get done. If we understand theology correct, and the scriptures say that God knows and draws his people to himself, no one can come to the Father unless he is drawn to the Father. We know that we have a picture of the end times. We see at Revelation 5, and there's people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language around the throne, bowing down, singing, worthy is the Lamb. So we know God's going to save them. The question is, does he, do we get to participate? So I think even today, you have two opportunities. You can go track down the Whiteley women right over here, or my wife, and demand of them to let you be a part of what God's doing. Because you don't want to miss what God's doing. You can come to a missions luncheon 
and hear Pastor Ted tell you what God is doing around the world just in the circles that we're involved in. Don't, don't let this pass you by. The spread of the glory of God is his purpose. He, he made the world and filled it with his people so that you and I would see his glory. Man rejects him. Man doesn't want his glory. Man wants his own glory, so they reject him. So in his providence, allowed for that to happen, planned for the rejection of God, planned for man to be plunged into sin, planned for him to send his son to redeem so that those who would see Jesus, they would long to know his glory, long to be a part of that glory, accept that glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, see his salvation for sinners, and want to be a part of that spread around the world and bring us back to restoration to where we all started. That's his goal. Creation, perfect, fall, redemption, restoration. Do you see that? That's what the Bible's about. If you want to know what the Bible is about, that's the four things the Bible's about. A perfect God, a perfect creator, a rejection of man. Man sins, falls, God redeems him, brings him back around, restores him back to where he was, and we live eternity with him. Now, I desperately want to be involved in the redemption of people and the restoration process that God lets us be involved with their lives. And I think you do too. If you're here today, I can't imagine that you're just sitting here just to gain more knowledge, that you're, you would believe that, well, I'm not like any, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a bump of the log Christian. I don't think you're that way. So I want to challenge you this morning to see the glory of Christ and run after it. Now let me give you some verses here just to think about. Jot these down as we go. I'm still in an introduction. Ted took us to Matthew 28, the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, go therefore and make disciples. It's in, a, it's, in a, it's in a tense that it assumes you and I are doing this. Keep going, keep being involved in this disciple-making process to all nations. Hollister is his own nation, isn't it? There's Raider Nation and 49er Nation. We got all kinds of nations around, don't we? Um, but it assumes that we are doing these things. And it says, baptizing them. This is, this is identifying them. And, and there's a very key word in, in Matthew 28, 19. In the name of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That means that we identify people with the Lord Jesus Christ. We identify them with the glory of God. We don't go and say, like Ron, Pastor Ron said this morning, hey, we're teaching kids to be good. We go with the message that Christ is most glorious. And when you see him for who he is, the God of eternity who came to earth, who, who stood on the ground of this earth that he created, his own creation, his creation rejects him, pierces him, hangs him on a tree, and he dies so you can live eternally that is the glory of God. That is the glory of God. And we are to teach them, identify them in that glory. Nothing else. You say, well, what about hospitals and wells and feeding people? I promise you, I absolutely promise you, and you'll see this today as we present some of the ministries to you, when you present Jesus Christ in all his glory, hospitals, food, water, all that stuff accompanies it. But we, as Americans, we want to go solve the food problems often. And, that, and not that this is bad, but often we get so humanitarian in our outreach, the gospel gets just absolutely buried. Just buried. And we, sit, and we send full-bellied people to hell. The gospel is essential, and this is what Jesus said. Look, go and teach them identify them with my glory, with the glory of the triune God. See, this is the command, spread the command, spread the glory of the Lord. It's given to us all through scripture. Listen to some verses, I'll do them fast, but jot them down. Psalms 9, 11, sing praises to the Lord. We've done that. Oh, dwell in, who, who dwells in Zion. Now listen to this. Declare among the peoples his deeds. Absolute command form in the Hebrew. Declare among the nation, God's deeds. 
Not go and say, hey, you gotta think about maybe reading this book. It's got some good stuff in it. Declare it. Proclaim it. This is what will save your soul. Proclaim it. Psalms 96, 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Every day we should proclaim the good tidings of his salvation. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. I tell people all the time, don't run up and say, tell somebody and grab them by the shirt and slam them against a the locker and say they're a sinner going to hell. That tactic usually doesn't work. Maybe for some of you, I don't know. Um, it usually doesn't work, right? Why don't we do what this verse says? Proclaim the good tidings of salvation from day to day. So wake up in the morning and proclaim to yourself, start there, Lord, I was a wretched sinner and you saved me. I want to start this day with thanking you for that. Maybe that's a good place we start from day to day. Then tell of his glories among the nations and his wonderful deeds. So, so here's how we spread missions personally. We do it through the church, but we have to do it personally as well. We say, can I just tell you my life? I think I can sum it up for five minutes. You have five minutes at lunch. Can I talk to you? Tell them how the Lord saved your wretched hide. They'll, they'll go. Two things. They'll either think you are just plum local and you were really a bad person. But if you share the gospel right and the spirit comes with that gospel, he'll come and he'll pierce their heart and they'll go, wow, I want that. I want that. Share the gospel. Psalms 105, 1 through 5, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, his glory, his person, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, praise him, speak of his wonder. See what happens? We are so thankful people that the gospel just kind of exudes out of us. It just falls all over people. I know people like this. When you get around them, you just come away and the gospel's just all over them. Are, are you li- I think that's what the psalmist is after. Singing and praising and speaking of his wonders and glory to his holy name, his holy person. See, this is missions. This is, we don't want, we don't send missionaries to the field and go, I hate my life. I'm over here with these people. You get around a God-sent, spirit-filled missionary, they are just oozing with Jesus. They've given up everything. Many of them have given up the American dream to go and tell people of this. And, and I love this about the psalmist here. He's just flowing out of him, man. Singing and speaking wonders and glory to his name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord with strength. Seek his face continually. If you're happy about Jesus, they may pay, punch you once, but they're probably not going to punch you twice because you're happy. They're just, they may not like it, but you're happy and they see that there's a changed life. Seek his face continually, the psalmist says. That's what missions is about, seeking his glory. That's what he means, face, person, name, his glory. Seek it continually. Seek his fame. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and his judgment uttered by his mouth. Again in Isaiah chapter 12, verse four, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make his deeds known among the peoples. Over and over this says, make them remember that his name, his glory is exalted. And the passage we're gonna come back into a minute and spend a little time in the New Testament is Peter says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim the glories of Jesus who saved your wretched hide out of the darkness that was going to damn you forever. I mean, we honestly, come on, think with me here for a minute. You sit here this morning, you hear this message, you hear this teaching from God's word, and you go, I need to do that. I really need to tell somebody this week of what's really inside me. I am begging you through God that you will not let this week go by, that you will not ask for this to be done. Lord, send me somebody that I can just tell them how I marvel about Jesus. 
If they reject you, I'll leave that to you, God. I cannot save people. I've never saved a person. I know that's your great work that you must do, but God, send me one person that I can say, I just want to tell you the marvels of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, you better start rehearsing what you're going to say to them because God's sending them. Maybe a mom who's going through a struggle. It may be a coworker. Just watch your coworkers. They're a mess. They don't have Jesus. They got their stuff. They got their weekends they live for. But they got nothing. The eternity that they wait for is horrible. They need this message, and this is what missions is. Missions is not just that. People on that wall back there in their pictures, and they go and do that, and Grace Bible Church goes, look, we're we're mission-minded, look. Mission has to start here with us, you and I, burdening for souls, longing to see God give to others what he's given to us. So this is the driving force behind biblical missions. It is the light. It is the glory tell of his glory among the nations. This is the driving force that goes. You've experienced the glory of God. You go, well, I've read Acts 9, and Paul's riding along Damascus Road. He's heading to go persecute Christians. God knocks him off his steed, and there he sees this light. He hears the voice of Christ, and this great conversion happens. He goes, well, that didn't happen to me. I go, yeah, it did. I'll take on any one of you who are saved, and I can promise you exactly what, Paul, what happened to Paul happened to you. There was a point in your life where you saw the glory of Christ. You, you saw, I don't care if you're six or 60, you saw how beautiful he was and you longed to have a personal relationship with him. That's what happened to Paul. For the first time in his life, one he had persecuted and rode hard against, he finally saw Jesus in his glory. And that's what happened when you got saved. And we're begging here in a couple of weeks as this building fills with youngsters that there will be little ones here, um, younger and older ones that will come and they will see the glory of Jesus. For the very first time, they'll say, I'm a sinner, I need that Jesus that they're talking about. I want that one who's searching and trying to rescue my soul. That's what I want. Oh Jesus, will you come into my life and take away my sins? That's what we want. And I'll tell you, that's every bit of experience that the Apostle Paul had. Because there's no lesser salvation. Your conversion, each and every one of you in this room, is no less than the Apostle Paul. It took the great miraculous work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It took the Spirit of God wooing and drawing you and opening your blind, dark eyes. It is a miraculous event when people get saved. But we have to share the one who can do that. I want to show you missions as God's lifelong project, eternal long project. Look at Genesis chapter 12. The birth of a nation here. It has all of one person in it. It's not a big nation yet. In fact, you might even say it's not a nation. But from the outset, God makes his goal that he has set down from the foundations of the world known to this tiniest nation made of one person. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives and from your father's house into the land which I will show you now. Doesn't that even sound like missions? (laughs) Leave everything that you feel comfortable about. Oh, daddy, Leave your country. Leave all your relatives behind. Verse two, he makes a promise, a covenant that he was gonna make a great nation out of him and I will make a great nation. I will and I will bless you and make your name great and so that you will be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Now look at the end of verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what is he talking about? Is Abraham himself going to be able to bless all the nations of the world? He's talking about something greater, isn't he? He's talking about the seed of Abraham. 
He's talking about the mission of the nation of Israel was supposed to be the gospel. From you will come a seed. He's the same one in Genesis 3 that will crush the head of the serpent. And he will bring people to me. This is the birth of the Hebrew nation. But to us, it's also the birth of missions. This is the goal. This is what God is doing. He's going to bring people to himself, a blessing to every nation. You go, well, I'm not sure if that's what that says. Well, let me explain a little farther. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, or just listen for a second time. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles, Holosterians, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So if you didn't think that was a gospel verse, you have to rethink it because Galatians 3, 8 says it is. And it says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. You, in your seed, was going to come from you, one that he'll gather people from every tribe and tongue and he'll bring them into heaven. That's Jesus. This is so missional, isn't it? It reminds us that God is at work. Later in Isaiah 19, verse 24, Isaiah told the nation that God was to be a blessing, that God was made Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Did they do that? God showed them his glory. In fact, it says that his glory, the Shekinah glory, dwelt right among them. What did they do with that glory? It was given to them, free. They didn't do anything with it. In fact, what they did was they disregarded it. They began to chase their own lusts and their own desires. They wanted to be like the rest of the world. They wanted worldliness, didn't they? And instead of Israel being a light to the world, they became a dark trap to much of the world. And, and, and all through the book of Isaiah, it reminds them that you were sent to be a light and you weren't. Now I'm going to send my own son who will be a light to the nations. Look with me at Luke chapter 2. I want to show you this. I told Ted this morning, I get preaching on the glory of the Lord. It could be days. Now don't let that scare you. I'm going to get you out of here in a little bit. But... Um, it's just everywhere from Genesis to Revelations on the glory of God and why we're supposed to share him. Now, this is a great little scene. Let me set it up. Jesus is eight days old. They're taking him to the temple to be circumcised. Simeon's been waiting for him. Verse 29, Simeon says, now I've seen the Lord. Let your servant depart. I can die now because your promises of all the Old Testament are now fulfilled. From Genesis 3 to, to chapter 12 of Genesis, all the way through the book, that Jesus was coming, a Messiah was coming. I've now seen him. According to your word, now let me die. Verse 29. My eyes, verse 30, have seen your salvation. They've seen your glory, God, which you have prepared in the presence, notice this, of all peoples. Verse 31. Jesus is not just for the Jewish or the Hebrew people. He is for all peoples. And then he quotes our verse here, verse 32, out of Isaiah 49, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So he, is the re, he has come right out of this nation. He came out from them, just like he told Abraham, from your seed will come one who will draw all nations to himself. Here he is, he's the light to the Gentiles. Now, if Christ is the goal to be light of the nations, and if these are Christ's goals as well, he says, I am the light of the world over and over to the nation of Israel as he comes and lives on the earth, then what does the apostles believe? What do they believe? Do they believe that it is not only a small thing for him to reach the nation of Israel, but do they see that he's reaching in, into the nations? Look with me at Acts chapter 13. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. You should go back and read this text today or sometime this week. What an amazing text of, of, of God reaching now to the nations of the world. Chapter 13, verse 13, I'll read fairly quickly here. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea in Patmos and to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on to Perga, they arrived in Pasad and Antioch, and on the Sabbath they went into the synagogue and sat down. And I love, any preacher loves this next phrase. After the reading of the law and the prophets, 
So that every, every Saturday on the Sabbath, they would get up and they would read a portion of the law and the prophets. After that, the synagogue official said to them saying, brother, if, if, you, if any have a word of exhortation for the people, say it. Now you got a preacher in the midst and, and Paul goes, I got a word. In verse 16, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, Remember, he's in a synagogue. There's no Gentiles in this building. You who fear God. Now, there's a way that man can fear God but not be saved. Men do that all the time. You'll see that over and over through the New Testament. The Bible says things like this. Lydia, a seller of purple, who feared God. The next verse, she gets saved. So knowing there's a God that exists out there doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus Christ alone brings you to heaven and to the eternal understanding of his glory. And he says this, the God of, his, of this people Israel chose our fathers and made people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Now he's gonna give them some history here. With, with an uplifted arm, he led them out. You remember that? Split seas, um, killed Pharaoh's son, knocked off the firstborn, showed his plagues. For a period of about 40 years, he put, them, put up with them in the wilderness, literally. And when he had destroyed seven nations... In the land of Canaan, he distributed this land as an inheritance and in all which took about 450 years. So Paul's given them the history of their nation. After these things, he gave them judges uh, until Samuel the prophet. So he gave them men like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and others. Verse 21, and then, he asked, then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. So we want a king. We want to be like the rest of the world. You remember that? Bad, bad mistake. Verse 22. And after he had removed him, because God removes unfaithful leadership. He always has and he always will. He's, he sends you to take care of his people. He'll remove him. He removed Saul because Saul, Saul sought his own glory, not the glory of God. And so he replaced him with a man named David to be their king, concerning whom he had testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, whom will do my will. And we go, well, wait a minute. David had some problems. Yes, he did, just like you and I. But he repented. And it's the big difference between men of God who walk with the Lord. They repent and they follow after God and they consistently walk with him. And David was one of those men, verse 23, and from the descendants of, of this man, according to the promise, that's what the Bible said, that Jesus was going to come through the line of David. God has brought Israel's Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now we've moved into the New Testament. This is the John the Baptist. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but, but behold, one coming after me, the sandal of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham, his family, and those who of you who fear God, to, to us the message of salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilling these by, um, by condemning him. So Paul says, look, you read every Sabbath, you get in here and you read these scriptures and you're missing what they're about. The Bible is about Jesus. So they would read the Psalms and they would read the prophets and they'd read the law. And Paul says, you don't realize who those are about. They're about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28, and though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he would be executed. Conversations going towards the glory of Jesus now. And when they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. You know, these people were there. Don't, don't miss this. There's probably people in the building that might have seen this happen. And they're going, I know where he's going now. We took this Jesus and we actually had no excuse to murder him. He was innocent. Over and over, Pilate said he was innocent. And we killed him. Notice what God did, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. This is glory. This is the glory of Jesus. Death can't hold him. And, and from many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who now are his witnesses to the people. He's speaking to Peter and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and, the, and his disciples. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. 
Now, that verse is so important because he says we're not preaching anything new here. We are preaching the promise that God has laid down from eternity past in the scriptures to you. This is him. He is both Messiah and Son of God. Verse 33, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and he has raised up Jesus as is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And as for a fact that he has raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he spoke this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. And therefore in another Psalm he said, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Now, up to this point, the nation thought those verses were all about David. They said, are we speaking about David? Psalm 16 is about David. Psalms 2 is about David. And then he says, look at this. Remember, he's trying to get them to see the glory of Jesus. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, died, fell asleep, and was laid among his fathers and underwent worm food. Decay. Isn't this amazing what he's doing? He goes, look, you have put all your hope in the patriarchs. You think these passages are about David and they're about Jesus. David, when he was raised up, he he had a purpose and that was to bring the people to worship God and David did that. There's no other greater king in all of Israel than, than David. In fact, the standard of how kings live their life is the standard is that they walked like their father David did. But he said, this is not about David. This is about somebody greater. Verse 37, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. The other day, they came up with a big finding in Jerusalem. I don't know if you saw this. We have found the bones of Joseph, Mary, and their son, Jesus. It's all over the news. People were going it. A dear uncle um, came to my mother-in-law and said, look, this proves it. He wasn't God. And blessed be my mother-in-law in in the kindest way said, brother, I can promise you those bones were not Jesus. And if you don't believe that, you have a long eternity ahead of you. See, he didn't go undergo decay. Jesus didn't die like man. He raised from the dead. See, this is getting his glory. This is understanding who he is. He can beat death. He can beat our death. He can beat our sin. He can overcome these things. This is what missions is about. This is what we do. This is what we share. This is what we share at VBS and we share in the Philippines. This is what we share in VBS and we share in India. This is what we preach from the pulpit and we share in the Congo. This is the same message of the glory of God. Verse 38, therefore, let it be known to you. Now, Paul's got all these guys that are not happy about this time. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. If you want to know what the glory of Jesus is, when we talk about glory here, John said we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. This is it. He can forgive sins. He can forgive your sins. This is the driving factor to missions. You carry within your heart, each and every one of you, the greatest message ever that any person on this globe could ever stand to hear is that their sins can be forgiven. Does that resonate with us? Answer the question. If their sins are not forgiven, what happens to them? Eternal damnation. If their sins are forgiven, what happens to them? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got to share that message. Look, look what happens. Look, look what happens. Two things happen. You'll see it here. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. I am so glad God has forgiven me for past sins, present sins, and future sins. I am so glad of that. Do you know how people in your life are just in binding chains every day because of sin? They put on a happy face and say, hey, how you doing when you see them at work or the grocery store? But they are absolutely dragging ball and chain that will eventually drag them to eternal judgment. Look at that verse. And through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Freed. That's what Jesus said. I I can free you, John 8. 
from which, notice this, right to this group of people, from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. What does that have to do with me? It frees you that you do not have to work your way to God. Because good luck with that. You want to go to God with your scale system? It's, that's not a good system, I promise you. Because one sin goes... And you can spend a lifetime trying to get that, but one sin will damn you forever. In fact, you're born sin, so the scales are already tipped when you're born. What a horrible life. And I, and I promise you, if you study the religions of the world, everyone, every religion of the world outside of Jesus Christ alone believes in a work-based salvation. And Satan loves it. He loves it. He loves religion. Paul's not teaching religion. He's teaching the religious people, but he's teaching freedom through Jesus Christ. And so he says, therefore take heed so the things of, of in the prophets may not come upon you. Wow, this is bad what comes, a scoffing and missing of all that God does. Verse 43, for the sake of time, drop down, he says the meeting broke up and many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and were speaking them, but there's others that aren't. There's others that are very upset with him. But he returns the next week. This is, I don't know if you know, chapter 13 is the start of the missionary journey of Paul. I should have said that. So he's out sharing the gospel, planting churches, okay? Just like a missionary does today. Just like you and I engage in. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole assembly came back to hear the word of the Lord. So now the rumor's out. Paul's in town. He's preaching. And man, he stirred things up last week. And they're back. But when the Jews saw the crowds, uh-oh, there's more, and they're coming to hear this message. When the Jews heard this, they were filled with jealousy. That's word filled means to be gripped. I mean, this is anger that kills people. This is riotous anger type of behavior here. And they filled with, with jealousy and began contradicting the things by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. You ever read Romans chapter one? And it says that the gospel came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. God has held his word from the beginning. He went to his own stiff-necked people and shared the gospel, preached it to Abraham. But down through the ages, they have rejected it. And Paul knows this, and he says, the gospel came to you first, but since you repudiate it and you judge for yourself, notice this, you judge for yourself unworthy of eternal life. You, by rejecting Jesus, you judge yourself. We don't need him. You know who I am? I don't need him. I am religious. I'm in this synagogue every week. I don't need your Jesus. Paul says you judge yourself. That's exactly what Jesus says. Those who reject and do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are judged already now notice what happens here Paul says at the end of 40, 46 we are turning to the Gentiles I love that verse that's me that's me brothers sisters that's you and I for most of us he's turning to us the gospel's coming just like God told the nation of Israel, 150 years before they're going to be wiped out, they thought everything was great. That it's too small a thing just for the light to go to the nation of Israel. And it has, and many Jews have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We call them Messianic Jews today. But he says, it's too small a thing. And look at verse 47. For the Lord has commanded, now he quotes two passages, our text is one of them, 49.6. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may you may be, bring salvation to the end of the earth. Oh, they weren't at the end of the earth right now. In fact, they were just barely into Asia. The gospel was still pretty centralized around the Jerusalem area. It was just starting to break and get out of Judea and out into the remotest parts. It's just starting to move. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, God's thinking of us in this verse. Can you imagine what was here on the continent of North America at this time? Probably nothing. And, and the salvation's going. It's going to these ends of these earth. Now look at 48 and just worship at this verse. 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They're going, hey, these guys have been saying that we're not part of this for so long. They're telling us we got to do this and we got to do that and we can't come in their building and we can't be part of this. And now Paul's saying, we get to hear this. And look what happens. Astounding. If you don't believe in the doctrines of grace, I hope you do after this verse. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Please do not tell me that God doesn't know every soul he's drawing. See, if you don't believe that, missions is difficult. Because do you think you have to get people saved? I was a young man going and teaching in my first Bible studies, planning my first church when I hit this verse and many others. And I remember I was on a dirt road driving to a Dell, Oregon. You couldn't find it if you had to. Maybe 40 people started a Bible study with eight people. I'm driving there. I had believed in the doctrines of grace that God saves and God alone draws to himself and, and man's responsible for his sin, but God saves. And I'm driving and I'm thinking of these verses and going, oh God, I don't have to save him. All I need to do is share his glory. I need to be willing to die to myself and what people think about me. And I, I'm doubtlessly going to be hated somewhere, but God, I don't have to save them because you have appointed men to salvation. And I love this verse. And look what happened, verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Because one man, one man said Jesus is the answer. One man stood up with his fellow countrymen and said Jesus is the answer. One man stood up at Microsoft. One man stood up in Silicon Valley. One man stood up in downtown Hollister. One woman stood up with a friend, a bunch of gals. One, one child stood up at the playground and said, I put my faith in Jesus. Look at it. And it spread through the whole region. Now, it isn't always popular. The Jews incited a devout women of prominence. They sick the women on the men. That's always scary. And then the leading men of the city, they got them, and they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But it was too late. The gospel had got foothold. And though Paul and Barnabas got drawn out of there, there were believers now. This happens all the way through. They get thrown in prison. Paul and Silas in Philippi, they had, they had led a gal named Lydia to the Lord in prison. Their earth shakes, their chains fall off. The jailer thinks they're gonna run away. He takes a sword, he's about ready to kill himself. Paul says, no, do not do that. The jailer heard their singing, not their preaching. He heard their singing of the gospel and he put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his whole household got saved and you have the church of Philippi and we have a book in the Bible about it. Because they told one lady, and they sang to a jailer. It's his missions. It's the spread of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I gotta skip to my last point and blow through this. I have so many passages, it just, it just goes on and on. Well, what inhibits us from participating in the spread of the glory is my last thought here. Well, what stops us? Why don't we do this stuff? I wanna be Acts 13. Do you? What stops us? Well, not in any particular order, but I wrote some thoughts down. Well, number one, we don't believe, nor do we read and study our Bibles. You go, well, no, I do. I tell you, if you and I read and study and know our Bibles, this will be a mission-minded church. We allow everybody else to teach us. We can go on the internet and listen to the greatest preachers. We've we got dead preachers, people preaching their sermons, so we can listen to them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But we don't read our Bibles. And, and you say, well, Scott, you are so excited about the glory of the Lord. I, I am telling you, I'm giving the credit to God in the reading of his word. I have a lot of exciting things that happen every day, but the most exciting thing I have in my day is when I get conscience and thank the Lord for my salvation and go sit in my tiny corner of my house and read my Bible. 
and just be amazed this last week at Ezra and Nehemiah, how much they loved God when the nation didn't. Just overwhelmed, I sat there in tears on my vacation reading through the history of Israel and finding men like Hezekiah and Josiah and Asa and these kings scattered through when the nation was abandoning truth and they would hold to it and God would use them to bring the nation back for a while. See, when you study it, you get lit. The glory of God becomes something real to you. And you don't just think, well, I believe in Jesus. I said a prayer, I walked the aisle, I raised a hand. You said, I believe in the glory of God. I have seen the glory of God. I have seen Jesus. I believe him because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, the word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you don't treasure the word, you'll never see his glory and you won't have a good resistance against sin. Read your Bibles. Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly, accurately handling the word of truth. Be like a newborn babe who longs for the pure milk of the word so that you might grow by it. Too many believers are not reading their Bibles. They're not memorizing scripture. And so we get what happens, and, and, and just bear with me, what happens is our interests get distracted from Jesus' glory. And so church in America now has become meet the need of the believer. And go to the church that best meets your need. That, that's what America church is. And the sad thing is, if you travel with me, you'll see where that's getting overseas now. And poor, broke Native people are hearing that, well, if you just go to this church, God's going to give you lots of money. And they're abandoning the word of God. Believe the Bible. Read it. Study it. It keeps us mission-minded. Second, we don't keep our conscience clear. And you go, what do you mean by that, Scott? We don't make a habit out of doing the things that please God. What pleases God in your life? You know. In fact, you and I know when we do things that are unpleasing. But when we continue to do those, reject or sequester the spirit of God who's saying, Scott, come on, please do not engage in that. We become desensitized. We become, we, we become those who compromise. Someone asked me the other day, they said, Scott, what is the problem with the American church? I said, it compromises. It compromises constantly. It compromises in its leadership. It compromises in its preaching. It compromises in the message that God sent the preachers to preach. It compromises, and that's what's happening today in America. And we can't let that happen to grace. If the Bible says it, let's do it. Let's not sin against our conscience. When you know, when you've studied, and you know God says, I don't want you behaving that way, bend the knee to him. So you're right, God. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Be devoted to your Savior. J.C. Rouse said the most holy man is one who hates what God hates and loves what God loves. Be devoted to God. Do what's right. Abhor evil, Romans chapter 12 says, and cling to what is good. We must cling or missions will go by. It'll go away. I promise you, we'll just be another church that has some guys in the back that we give some money to. We've got to cling to what is good, hold to the word of God. See, we avoid situations where our faith will be tested. You want to get away from missions? Every one of us start to live lives that, where our faith is not tested. <laughs> live the American dream where bills are paid. You know, maybe I don't have all of it, but I'm just good. Never put yourself in a situation where you've got to get on your knees and beg an almighty God to meet your need. Missions will die. It'll die. See, we we'll ask our missionaries do that. They live on nothing out there. They've given up everything. But we sit back and go, look at us. See, we have to get in a position. And, and I promise you, and I've done this and regretted it a couple times. Said, Lord, I want to learn to trust you more. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, God. Whew. Man, we can't pay our bills this year. We can't, we can't, I, I can't pay my house payment. Uh, Gene and I have experienced the 
for several years where we did not know where food was going to come. And he drove us to our knees. We're the one that, that they write about where food shows up on your doorstep. I, I, I don't know who brought it to this day. I've had envelopes of money put in mailboxes because God answered my prayer and said, I will test you so you will trust me. I promise missions will die if you and I avoid situations that test our faith. Get on our knees. I made the great mistake, which is a really a glorious blessing on my, on my vacation, to read a new biography on George Mueller. You don't remember him. I remember thinking, he's the guy who prayed for food for the orphanages for a few kids. And he was out of food a couple of times. For 25 years, he was out of food. Every day, he could not feed hundreds and then thousands of orphans. He was asked to preach around the world and he had no money to do it. And he circled the globe before his death eight times and fed hundreds and thousands of orphans that to this day, their relatives are serving the Lord. And he'd have a dime to his name when he started it all. But he believed. And he said in his book, do not live the way, do not live your life in a way that doesn't allow you to be tested. It's dangerous. It'll shipwreck your faith. And then lastly, and we'll close with this, a poor theology of missions will kill missions in a church. If you don't understand and believe who actually does the saving, as many as who are appointed came to eternal life. If you don't understand that concept, missions will deteriorate into a humanitarian effort. We don't want that. The missionaries we're supporting, and they are as follows. And you'll hear more about each one of these today. Mark Christopher in South Africa, Scott Conival in Taiwan, the Cornerstone Seminary that is around the globe, Sola Gracia Ministries in the Philippines, Compassion for Congo in the Republic of Congo, Mexico with Fernando Roca, a church planning, Bible school planning ministry in Mexico, and Ami Shimre in India. These men and their wives and many involved in this are doing this. They have great theology that drives them to stay in places that you and I don't always go. And so let me just close with this thought. If, in fact, we don't obey God and go, we, or we do, we fall into kind of three categories. One, there are those who hear this message, the glory of Christ, and you want to go. And I'm praying. Someone in here says, today, I want to go to the mission field. And we'll start that process with you. Somebody has to go. But not everybody can go, right? Because somebody has to send them. So the first group are those who go. The second group are those who send. And sending isn't just giving the money to the guys in the picture on the wall. It's absolutely being engaged with their ministry. Prayer, financial support, going over there, aiding their ministries, being involved with them. And then there's a third group. They're the group I call, they're in the way. Go, send, or get out of the way. That's, that's what it is. That's what the Bible talks about. And that's what missions is. It's, it's a church that has risen up to really want to be a part of something greater. This is the glory of Christ. Let's pursue him. Father, we thank you for your patience with us, Lord. It is astounding. Lord, we've taken... We've taken many years to try to get to this thinking, Lord, and learning to grasp this type of truth. But Lord, you are patient and kind to us. You suffered long with us, Lord, but Father, it's time for us to pursue missions, Lord, for your glory. Pursue the glory of Christ, wanting to see that glory spread across the globe, Lord, both here and abroad. And Father, I pray that we would not sit on our hands. Lord, we have been presented in front of us today, Lord, missions. Crossing children, standing with children, helping with crafts with children. Coming and praying with a group of people for our missionaries and learning how we can engage with them, Lord. We have opportunities right in front of us. Lord, may we go, may we send, or may we get out of the way, Lord. 
because we want your glory to go forth, Lord. We want to stand with those in Revelation 5 and sing of the praises of worthy of Lamb and knowing that, God, you used us to be part of those many nations and many tribes and many peoples, Lord. So, Father, you are mighty to save. And we want to come along and we want to see what you're doing. Lord, we are asking you as a church, what are you doing and can we be involved? We beg you to show us that in Jesus' name.